Father, thank you for the morning, and I thank you for the beautiful day that it was yesterday, and ask that you be with us now as we um, open your word, that you would speak to us. Father, you're the one who speaks. Um, your word is, is sacred, and um, by itself, Father, we, we need you to interpret it to our hearts. So I ask that you do that this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, how many of you ever... When you were a kid, tried to uh, make up a game with your friends at some point. I mean, just completely make one up. I didn't try. Just did. You just did. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> does anybody here uh, ever remember that going poorly? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is any? any <laughs> no, David Smith. No. Uh, do you ever remember it resulting in um, uh, fights or arguments? Yes. You make, when you make up the game? Why? Because I shot an orange down the hole and they a slingshot and hit a car. Okay, let's, let's make a game of... Uh, they have apps for that, now, Jason. <laughs> um, it always seems like what I remember um, when I was a kid trying to make up games is uh, you're always introducing new rules, right? Like, so you're, you're playing a game and you come up with whatever it is and then the middle of the game is like, no, 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 that's not, you can't do that. You know, that's not fair. Like, you're only allowed to do this. And people get mad because, well, that's stupid because now you're going to win the game. Or, you know, these <laughs> different arguments. Um, but it seems like, uh, with the exception of kill the man with the ball, <laughs> um, every game needs some sort of rules. I mean, kill the man with the ball is just like, oh, you have the ball. I think it's more of a guy game, you know. <laughs> And you can, you can just kind of roll with that. But, you know, I did student ministry for so many years. And I'm surprised. I'm surprised at, at even how many rules uh, dodgeball has. I mean, because, you know, dodge the ball is pretty, pretty basic rules. But I would get, you know, 50, 60 guys together. We'd, we'd play this epic dodgeball battle. And everyone's just rip-roaring, ready to go. Um, but I'd have to... Just like shout at these kids, like you know, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. So we've got to go over the rules because people play all different ways. You know, different boundaries, different you know regeneration. You can come back in if you catch it, or um, you know, the, the the politically correct way is you know you don't aim for the head. Where I always always say that you know headshots were encouraged. <laughs> um, <laughs> I joke. Well, no, I won't say that. But um, so. Anyway, it just seems like, you know, when you're a kid and you're trying to make up some game, it just didn't really seem to go well. Um, but I think of a game um, like basketball, which is very defined. Uh, you, you have very concrete rules. Um, and the official game of basketball, like at the NBA level or the NCAA level, is, um, has a, a book, an actual written book, uh, with very defined rules. And those rules are defined by non-current players. You know what I mean? Um, it's not something that you make up along the way. You don't start the game and blow the whistle and be like, wait a minute, that didn't work out well, let's, let's change it up. And if there are you know, minor adjustments to the rules, it's always um, in the off-season uh, made by the commission. Um, but there's a system in basketball um, that involves authority. You know, really, any, any major sport. Um, you have the, the commission that establishes these are the rules, uh, but then when you actually play a game, you have the referees, right? And, and they're the ones who are making sure that people are, are keeping the rules. And the commission is different than the referees. 
And the referees are different than the, the coaches, but the coaches are the ones that are telling. They have authority, too, because they're telling the players what they're supposed to be doing. And it's through this system of authority, ultimately, I believe, and I think that we could all get to this conclusion, that um, it's what makes the game fun. Because if you remove, I mean, we've all probably remember childhood games where people just didn't obey the rules, and it just isn't fun anymore. Um, I, 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 I did a, a ministry when I was in college working with, with kids that came from tough backgrounds, and we tried to play games with them, and it just consistently did not work because they, they didn't obey the rules. And I remember sitting here, well, I remember one time playing Simon Says, mm-hmm. trying to play Simon Says, and they wouldn't obey the rules. And I'm just sitting there thinking, this is chaos. Like, nobody's having a good time. Um, they're frustrated. I'm frustrated. Like, we just can't do this because, they're, they're, you know, they wouldn't obey the authority. And I didn't lord it over them. But, I mean, Simon Says is pretty basic rules. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, 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 and so it's not, it's not fun. And I think one of the things that makes basketball so fun is there's a defined system of rules and, and a way to uphold them. Um, but there's also – the point of having a referee is that, that there's, there's a punishment – when you break the rules, uh, basketball is considered a non-contact sport, <laughs> even though there is contact. But when you play by the rules, when you play the way that, that you're supposed to, it is designed to be a very safe game that's a lot of fun. And then by the end of it, it's really designed for you to really kind of come back wanting more. And I've played basketball that way. I mean, we played ultimate frisbee the other day. Uh, last Sunday, and I just had, I mean, I love playing ultimate frisbee, and I, and I had a blast, and, and there's an established set of rules that we, we followed, um, and it left me wanting more. Like, I, I told several people that played, like, that was so much fun, we had a good time, and I've had that same response even when I played ultimate frisbee games and have lost, you know? It was good, it was competitive, it was fun, um, people obeyed the rules, and it worked. When people start cheating, people start getting frustrated. Other people start breaking the rules too. It just this—it's the cycle that goes downhill um, pretty quickly. Today, um, we're talking about a text in Ephesians chapter six that has to do with authority, and um, I wanted to use this basketball example just to try to start getting us thinking about how authority is defined. Because if, if authority is defined wrongly, then our concept of authority, our concept of obeying that wrongly defined authority will result in, in the breakage of rules, right? So if, if you're trying to play basketball and you have a wrong perception of the authority, like let's say you, know, you, you view the refs and the coaches as, as equal authorities, right? And your coach is like, no, 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 that wasn't a foul, that wasn't a foul. And the player is like, well, then that wasn't a foul, and I can do that again, Right? And it just doesn't work that way. Again, it goes downhill quickly unless you have properly defined uh, authority. And if, you, and if that authority is not defined, then your seeking of obeying the rules will then also be wrongly defined. And what will happen is you'll break the rules. And what happens when you break the rules is you'll be, biblically, <laughs> the terminology would be, would be judged um, or wrath would come upon you, which is what a foul is in basketball. It's... I mean, wrath doesn't always have to be as, as horrible and dangerous um, and, and terrifying as a word as it is, but ultimately it's the wrath of the system of you broke the rules, so you will either be fouled or you'll be kicked out of the game, right? It's breakage of the rules. So let's define authority by the textbook, all right? Just a secular dictionary says this. Authority is the right or the power to enforce rules or to give orders. 
somebody or something with official power. Authority is always something that is given. All right? Authority is always something that is given, with one exception, and that is the absolute authority, which is God. Um, you ever heard somebody say, you know, who made you boss? Yeah? Or, or, or you know, who, who gave you the authority? Have you ever heard that before? Um, and I think that that simple, natural, I think that is a, a purely um, natural human response. Just like if you touch something hot and you're like, Pfft. if somebody that you view does not have authority, but they're exercising authority over you, I'm sure we've all said it. It's a natural response to be like, who made you the one over me? You know what I mean? It is a natural response to just kind of buck authority. It, it's, it's part of human nature. Um, the abstract idea or the concept of authority is something that is both created and designed intentionally and enforced by the triune God. Um, we see this through scripture. First of all, he is creator. Um, we see that he has rule and dominion over his creation. He has rule, dominion, and power over all nature and can manipulate it if he chooses. He is over all man-made authorities, kings, Governors, presidents, parents. Um, and not only is he over all of his creation, but he is the establisher or the writer of the rules. We see that very simply in the Garden of Eden. Thou shalt not eat of this tree. And there are consequences if you do not obey. That he had the authority to make that rule because he, he created both the tree and Adam and Eve. Um, we see it in the giving of the Ten Commandments. These are rules to live by. We see the commands given to the children of Israel before and conditionally based on them to, to take the promised land and to live fruitfully in that land. And we see it throughout the, the New Testament. Uh, rules given by the authority through the Son, Jesus Christ. God establishes the fact that he is God. He establishes his own Godhood based on the fact that he has authority and sole authority. If he does, if God does not have total authority, um, then he is not God. It's a little philosophical, philosophical statement. If God does not have total authority, then he, he is not God because he cannot be God. If he doesn't have total authority, then there, that means there's another source that has equal or more authority than God himself and it would not make him all-powerful, which is another character trait of God. If God, being the total authority, mismanages his authority, then he is not good. So the fact that God has total authority, part of his nature is that he manages and gives his authority appropriately. If he does not, then by definition he is not good. And we see the God of the Bible as being both God and a good God. So I'm saying all this because it's important for us to understand a proper uh, definition of authority as created and defined by a good God is vitally important to anybody wishing to live a life according to the commands of the authority. So, as Christians, we need to not just accept a, a, a vague definition or even an assumption of what authority is and isn't, whether it comes from God or the authority that God then gives, because we said authority is always given, to other people, whether it's at a governmental level, a family level, or pastoral level, or a social level at the workplace. Um, 
here's a truth, right? An invariable truth. Number one, we're going to give two of these. Uh, human nature always defies authority. I think we would all agree with that, right? Human nature, by nature, uh, defies authority. And this seems to be somewhat of an obvious statement. But sometimes I think it's important for us to focus on the obvious to get a clearer and clearer picture. But I worked in student ministry for almost 15 years. And um, number one issue is kids and their parents, right? I, I think we've, I mean, <laughs> if you're a human, if you're, if you're breathing air, um, and if you've ever been born, you've had the butting of heads with your parents. Am I right? I mean, it's just, it's, 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 how, it's how it goes. We, we see it everywhere. There are books written on it. There are classes for it. There are uh, very defined systems of discipline in schools um, and in households that there's just this consistent problem of children obeying their parents. Uh, it's, it's universal. Everywhere you go, every culture, every family, every kid, Believer or not, there's always a problem there. Um, how many of you have ever found yourselves um, frustrated or mad or angsty, even in your own heart or your mind, against police officers? Let's be honest here. How many of you have ever um, been driving down the road and you go over a hill and you see the, a police officer waiting with a little zapper gun? How many of you have ever seen that? And how many of you, you know, in the quietness of your own heart, were like, thank you. <laughs> no? <laughs> but he's just doing his job, you know? I remember, I remember guy, I got pulled over once, and, um, well, I've been pulled over several times, but one time my, <laughs> my, my license uh, plate was expired, and, um, you know, I moved, and I didn't get the reminder in the mail, and I thought that was like a human right that they'd mail that to me. And, and since they didn't mail it to me, then it was their fault, not my fault, that my license plate was expired six months. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so he wrote me a ticket, but he's like, he said, you can, you know, you can go get proof of insurance and then take this to court. And, like, I was fuming, um, just ticked off. Like, I don't have time for this. I don't have the money for this. Blah, 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 blah. And God really kind of poked my heart once and was like, Danny, he's doing his job. You broke the rules. I remember what, what I was thinking. Like, I, it, it was expired. It was expired. It was my responsibility. It's always been my responsibility. And it was expired. And all he was doing was upholding the law. That's all. And I was fuming at him, not just for doing his job, but for upholding the law, which greatly benefits me, you know? It greatly benefits me. Um, and so there is something just in our nature that we, we just don't like levels of authority over us. Um, oftentimes the bad guys or the teachers or the referees or bosses. Um, but ultimately, all human history is defined by the right or the wrong use or abuse of authority. It's how wars are started. It's how family feuds happen. Um, it's how corruption takes place in, in politics. It goes on and on and on. So invariable truth number one is that human nature defies authority. Invariable truth number two is that God's plan is accomplished through his system of authority. <laughs> All right, God's plan is accomplished through his system of authority. So our human nature is to defy it, but that is the structure by which God has established to accomplish his that God has designed it, 
and he has commanded us both to obey the authority that is over us. And if we have authority over other people, we are commanded to do it in a gracious, loving, we are heirs of one kingdom sort of way. We see, we see that hand, hand in hand all throughout Scripture when there, and there's a command to obey authority, that those who are in authority over others, there, there's a corresponding command that you do it in a godly, loving, gracious, merciful, we are part of the same family kind of way, which, which is encouraging. Um, this leads us to the text, all right? So Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. If you got your Bible, please turn there with me. <coughs> Ephesians 6, 1. All right, this is a verse that we all hated as kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'll read that again. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Um, children obey... First of all, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to a church of believers in Ephesus, and children were part of this church. This was not something that was uh, first addressed to parents to then convey to their children. This was addressed from the Apostle Paul to children, and the parents then use it also because it is God's truth. You follow? Um, I want us to look at Romans chapter 1. You got your Bible? Let's flip there. Romans chapter 1, verse 29. Romans chapter 1, verse 29. says that they were filled, we got it, Romans chapter 1, verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is a, this is a grave list of sins, which um, it, it says... It's a pretty damning list. And in the middle of this list is something that seems so elementary. Disobedience to parents. You know, I didn't take out the trash like you told me to. Or I I lied about doing my homework. Um, This is bringing up a very, very, very important issue of the structure of authority that God has set up. That, he, that this is not one of those things that God is putting in place at, in, in a sense of saying, hey, you know what, things would just go better, kids, if you did what your parents had to say. That, he is, that God is saying that there is an established order, and it's called authority, by which I show myself and my work is accomplished here on this earth, and that you receive the greatest good. Now, that's pretty big, but it's a system that God has established, and he says that this system of, of authority is one in which I show myself and how I accomplish my will on this earth, 
and you receive the greatest good. I mean, that's the best, best, best of any given situation. So it's a big deal. It's listed in this list in Romans chapter 1 as grave sins, disobeying your parents, and also listed in a similar list of grave sins in 2 Timothy. It is pulled from uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother is um, one of the Ten Commandments. It is the only Ten Commandment that includes a promise. Isn't that interesting? Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long and in the and that you and they may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother in the Lord, for this is right. Um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. That your days may be long in the land um, that the Lord is giving you. Um, verse 2 uh, mimics the same thing in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. That's something that I want. I, I want my life to, to go well and I want it to live long. It's, it's something natural. I don't desire an, an early death. I don't desire a difficult life. Um, and one of the Ten Commandments gives this command, honor your father and your mother, and it gives it with the promise that there is reward for this. And this is a principle here, because it's not guaranteeing that if you obey your parents and you're a very uh, obedient child through the course of your life, that it's guaranteed that you're going to live to be 98 years old. But it's a principle that says when you do the things that God has called you to do, it will go well with you. It will go well with you. Things will work out better when you follow God's ways. And as things are working out better when you're living a life of obedience under the established system of authority that God has established to both show himself, to do his work, and to benefit you, it, that, those are the things that happen for you in order for you to have a long life and for it to go well with you. Does that make sense? This is a good thing. David? Uh, is it implied that uh, if fathers don't provoke your children with anger that it is also promised to them that they will have a long life too? Is that kind of implied or is this just related to children with how they treat their parents? Does that make sense? I, I, that didn't make sense. Say it again. Uh, so if, if, like you said, it tells children that if they do this, they will receive a long life. Mm-hmm. The father? Yes. Is it? Yes. Okay. I would say that is implied. Okay. Because the principle is the same. Obedience. Because the father is... Um, I mean, look at this. It says in verse 4, the beginning of verse 4, as David pointed out, do not provoke your children to anger. You know what children are? Vulnerable. They're vulnerable. By nature, they're under the authority of somebody else. And when authority is mismanaged or misplaced, that's what we call abuse. Now, we hear abuse in, the sec- in, the, in, the, in, in our culture today in terms of physical abuse or, or emotional abuse, but if somebody has authority given by God and they're not exercising it properly, then they are abusing the authority that God has given them, which is, is a grave sin. And so if a father, and this is really... Um, Speaking to fathers and mothers here, okay, because it's, it's been established 
It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Um, and it says, um, obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 2, honor your father and your mother. So there's a redundancy going on here. That this is not just speaking to fathers, but it's speaking to parental figures, which I, I went to... Um, my boss this week said there's this uh, ph- uh, Christian philosopher speaking at CSU giving these lectures, and you want to go? And it's like, well, cool opportunity. I never heard of the guy before. It was really good. One of the things that he was talking about is how we can see, this is a rabbit trail, through all the way back to uh, the beginning of the Old Testament, um, God's design for men and women to be equal but different, you know? And, and he pointed to these verses that talk about in the Ten Commandments, it's honor your father and your mother. In an Old Testament culture, that was not the way the rest of the world lived. It was honor your father. And your father can be his mother, your mother if he wants to, you know? Um, and children obey your parents, both of them, you know? And, that and, and he went on and on and on, but showed this amazing trace how we can see biblically God's call um, for... Uh, Women's rights is, is the argument that he was he was making. So this is not just fathers don't provoke your children, but mothers also don't provoke your children. Children are vulnerable, especially the obedient ones. And if that is sinned against or taken advantage of, then there is a skewing of the system that God has designed to show Himself. It, I think of. Um, It's a terrible example. This is a painful example. If if somebody, if, if, a, if, a, if a parent abuses a child, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Um, because the parent is in authority over this child. And this child now is defining his understanding of what authority looks like, right? And if that is broken, if that is skewed, then it's going to change the way that they deal with other levels of authority in their life. And the established system that God has put in place is for God to show himself through the system of authority. So actually, we can, if we're, if, if, if we're parents, or if we're bosses, or if we're in any sort of situation where we are mismanaging the authority that God has given us, we're essentially blinding people to the truth of the gospel. And understand the way that I'm saying that. God has a sovereign way that he works. He works in ways that we don't fully understand. And if somebody does not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, we cannot say that our, their blood is on our hands. But God can say, you went against my system. You went against my ways. And there is punishment and wrath that is due because you, you broke the law. Does that make sense? So this is a serious thing. Not just children obey your parents, but parents do not mismanage the authority that has been given to you. Do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, the rest of verse 4 in chapter 6 says this, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, a parent who, is, who has authority over their children, children who are supposed to obey their parents, the parents are not only uh, not supposed to provoke, but they are supposed to raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Um... Deuteronomy. I'm going to read a section of Deuteronomy to you um, that explains and commands 
what a parent, especially uh, what parents are supposed to do and how they raise their children to show them the gospel. Um, This is a command to the children of Israel who have uh, been given freedom from their captivity uh, from Egypt and are on their way to the promised land. All right, so this is a command to parents. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is a commandment. The statutes and the rules the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Okay? Commands given by the ultimate authority, which is God, for them to do. That you may fear the Lord, your God, you and your son and your son's son, generationally, so that you may have this and you may pass it on to your son and then pass it on to your grandson. By doing what? Keeping all the statutes and the commandments which I have commanded you. All the days of your life, that your days may be long. Don't we want that? A long life? Verse 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So there are commands that are set up that you are supposed to teach your offspring so that it may go well with you, that your days may be long as you take the promised land. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head, on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is saying, this is saying, make much of my commands. Talk about it. And then talk about it some more. Make it a part of your everydayness. Make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your mealtime. Make it a part of your bedtime. Make it a part of the time when you're driving from here to the store. Um, and it's not saying physically that you have to tattoo things to your hand and, and your eyes, even though Orthodox Jews believe that. Um, it's saying that make this as such a consistent part of your life that it is just natural to talk about. You know? It is natural to talk about. And it is every day so that the kids are getting it ingrained because you are the parents teaching them this. Verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, meaning upholding his promises, that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and the houses full of all the good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear or be in awe of. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. Unless the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. There's wrath here. If you don't do these things, judgment will come. God has blessed you. He has given you things that you did not build, and given you things you do not deserve. Which is how our lives ultimately are, are defined, aren't they? That, that, that we, we're not owed this life. We're not owed 
the good things that come our way. Every good and perfect gift is from above, it says in Scripture. Verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the, of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimony and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Inquiring minds. You know, children ask questions. Why is it this way? I don't ever remember slavery. What is this story that you've told? Why do we have this place? Why do we deserve this place? Did you get this place, Dad? Did, did, did you work for this place? Why, why do we go to church? Why do we go to the synagogue? Why do we offer sacrifices? Verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all of these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this very day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Isn't that sweet? And this is in Deuteronomy. <laughs> But it's saying that, 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 that God has done good things. And, you know, I hope that when my children ask questions, I can share them how I once was lost, but now I've been found. I mean, I, my, my family heritage does not go back to some, uh, to some slavery in Egypt, but it's the same principle of truth that I was once bound to my sin, and now I've been freed. And now we've been given uh, the promises of, of eternity and, and treasures in heaven and, and peace and hope and rest that we can find no other place, my son, my daughter. And that is the God that, that we are worshiping. And through them hearing the truth, by me exercising the proper authority over my children, the gospel and the goodness of God is exposed. The first level of dealing with authority in anybody's life is always the parents. You know, the first interaction that you have as a child is not with the law, <laughs> the police officer. It's not with the government. But every initial exposure to authority that we have comes to us in the form of our parents having authority over us. And that is the beginning of our exposure to the system that God has set up to expose himself to us. Let me think about it. We cannot be saved unless we understand the authority of God. Because we cannot be saved if we don't understand that he has made the rules that, that all sin is damning sin. If we don't understand and believe that, then we won't see our need for salvation. If we don't understand that, that because we have sinned by God's decrees, then that makes us sinners. And sinners cannot have access to perfect heaven unless it has been washed and cleansed first. You know, We, we, can't, we can't get there unless we see the authority and submit to it. Even if we see the fact that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If I don't then submit to what Jesus Christ has done to the cross and say, I give up my life for you, 
and I turn from my sinful way, even, even if there's pieces of me that still want it, I turn from it to Jesus Christ, then I can't be saved. And so there's a direct connection between submitting to, learning to submit to the authorities that God has placed that leads you to the same type of submission that is required for us to gain access to the family of God. Moving on, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This word slaves here in the New Testament is, can be translated one of three ways. Um, it can be translated as like slave, slave, servant, or bond servant. And the reference to slavery in the New Testament is not our image and vision of North American slavery in the 1700s. It's different. They say that in Ephesus, um, I think it was about a third of the population of this major city, hundreds of thousands, um, would be in this slave category. And most of them were bond servants, which basically means that you voluntarily uh, bound yourself to servitude, um, but you got paid, and you were working towards a payment or a payoff. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, Paul is addressing um, the same uh, type of person who is a bondservant and says, if it's within your means, buy your freedom. You know, and that's what people did as bondservants. So we read the word slaves, uh, but it's not what we're thinking. Oftentimes, a bondservant would live with the family, and they got very close with the family, um, but they still had the, they were still under the authority of the family. And slaves in this context, or bondservants, and masters were all part of the same church here in Ephesus. All right? So just like there were parents and children receiving this letter from Paul, uh, there were there were masters and bondservants in this setting receiving instruction from the Apostle Paul. Um, when it says, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, this is not a reference to uh, cowering in fear of abuse, because that is a mismanagement of authority. Um, I um, was in uh, Michigan visiting my grandmother and grandfather. <clears throat> it was snowing outside. Uh, roads were icy, and uh, we were sitting in my, my nana and papa's house, and uh, my dad's parents, my dad was there, and we looked out the front window, and we saw a car lose control and hit a big snowbank and take out a mailbox. And, um, you know, you got to go out and see if the guy's okay. So we went out there, and uh, it was a kid, you know, he was driving legally, but he was still a kid. And he was just like, oh, my dad's going to kill me. My dad's going to, oh, my, uh, his dad's going to kill me. And we're like, man, calm down. Like, it's a mailbox. Like, you know, we can replace this. And 
you know, all this different kind of stuff. My dad was out there, and um, my uh, my dad was there, and my uncle, and my uh, and I was there, and this kid, and the, this kid's dad showed up, and um, kid was just kind of he was cowering. He's kind of doing this, and the dad was clearly really upset. And um, he's like, "What'd you do?" Like, Man, I lost control. He looked. Kid looked up, and the dad like went at him, uh, but didn't make contact. He was just kind of like, and the kid just like, like just buckled. And I remember at that moment thinking, he's been hit, you know. This kid's been hit. And um, I remember my dad just kind of going, and like, pride welled up inside of me. Um, so my dad's getting ready to get in the middle of this. <laughs> and uh, after the a whole thing happened, I was like, Dad, like, what would you have done if like, that guy would have hit his son? And my dad said, he wouldn't have hit him again. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah, Dad. Like, um, it's a mismanagement of authority um, for that kid to have that reaction to his dad. But in the same way, I think it's it's a representation of how authority should work. At how I was proud of of that my dad was going to do something about this. You know, that he was not going to let a mismanagement of the God-given system of authority step in, and. We see the term fear and trembling throughout Scripture, and sometimes it's in reference to God. And this fear and trembling, when it's in reference to God, is more of an awe, really, of the system. That God is the ultimate authority. That he does have control. And that we should be afraid if we mess up and break the system. Because there has to be restitution when a sin is made. And, and that should cause anxiety. Now, the good thing that we have is something called the gospel that says that there is forgiveness. But it's not just a blanket that's given, that we go and we seek forgiveness. So it's not saying, slaves, obey your masters with fear and trembling because you should get beat if you don't do what you should do. It's not what it's saying. Because it then goes on to say, with fear and trembling, with, it, look, <clears throat> with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. With fear and trembling, obey your masters with a sincere heart as you would Jesus Christ. Because that draws fear and trembling. As if you were a servant of Jesus. Now the concept of servant and slave and servitude is lost on us right now because we don't have servants or bondservants or slaves. But Paul is, is speaking directly to a system, a culture that did. So when he when he was saying, um, when he was saying the word servant, um, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, look at verse uh, uh, six. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasing, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. He was specifically saying, like you are an actual employee of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, imagine that. I mean, I have an employee. I have an employer, and uh, I. That's the nine thirty bell. You know, even though it's ten thirty. Um, I I have obligations, and I like my employer. 
Um, I respect my employer. Um, and spe- you know, Andy Boyer is, is my direct boss. You know, and I, and I like him and I respect him and he he calls me out when I need to and he gives me instruction and gives me encouragement and like there's certain ways that I treat him because he's he's my boss. And it, when it's saying, do this, work, obey your master with a sincere heart as you would Jesus Christ, that is something that should draw awe, shouldn't it, from us? Whoa. As, I, as if I'm serving Christ. Verses 6 and 7. Um, look at verse 7. Chapter 6, verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Um, there is a nobility in work. Non-ministry, non-mission strip, non-pastoral, non-witnessing, everyday work. On the farm, in the office, data entry, filing, grading, being an engineer, being an architect, writing prescriptions, working on an engine... That there is a nobility <clears throat> to work that accomplishes God's will. God works most through the natural world. Um, he accomplishes his purposes most through the natural world doing what people do under the structure of authority in obedience to him. God Understand what I'm saying here, okay? I'm not trying to make an overstatement. The Holy Spirit has to do its work. And the Holy Spirit has done its work in my life. But I wonder how much of the Holy Spirit doing a work in my life that has brought me to the point of recognizing my own sin and seeing my need for a Savior and becoming a Christian had, had to do with the fact that my parents simply were godly parents to me. They were, they were godly parents to me. You know? So it wasn't like, it wasn't like God, like, you know, parted the waters, dropped down bolts of lightning from heaven, uh, split the earth, and then I was like, I see the Lord! <laughs> you know? It's like, my parents showed me the gospel. My parents exposed me to the gospel. My, my parents did what they were called to do. And I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know? And I want to do what I'm called to do so that my child will be a Christian. And, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not anything supernatural about that, but that's just doing what God has called us to do. And, and you know, I read a book that, that talked about how God works most <clears throat> through, the natural me, through the natural world. Um... There was a missionary that I knew who was in need of <clears throat> some gear. He was getting ready to go um, through the jungles of Venezuela <clears throat> and uh, looking for a, uh, a native deep jungle Venezuelan tribe that had not actually been found. There was just evidence that they existed and they were going to try to be missionaries there. And uh, he was a friend of mine and we sat down and 
I was like, well, what do you, like, what do you need to pull something like that, like that off? And he started listing off gear. And one, one of the things that he said was um, that he needed these back, he needed backpacks. And like that week, I had gone to one of those like big Bass Pro Shop stores and they had these huge out, uh, backpacking backpacks at like 90% off. It was like, the, like they found them in the back room. Like, what are these doing here? Let's throw them out. And like, I bought these two packs and I was so excited because I wanted to go backpacking and I hadn't had gear like it before. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like saying, Danny, you need to give them to this guy. <laughs> like, that's why you bought them. Like, they were 90% off, you know, come on. And I remember having this little battle in my mind of like, no, <laughs> I don't, I, this is really cool. I don't, I don't, I don't want to give them away. And the, and the Holy Spirit won and I gave them to this guy. And the sense of joy that, that came from it was, Unspeakable. I mean, like, whatever the 10, 20, 30, 40 bucks that I paid for these things, I'm still, I still feel good about it. And that was years ago, you know? And I, and, and it, and it, so it wasn't this miraculous drop down, like I'm going to materialize backpacks to meet your need to do the work of the gospel in the jungles of Venezuela. But I had a little college job where I got some money. And I went to a store and found something on sale and got it. And God worked his way through the missionary's life and supplied me joy just by the natural means, right? And that's how it worked. And I, the job that I was doing um, was catering for a, uh, a catering service that was um, owned by um, a very, very well-known gay man in Chicago. <laughs> and like... I only say that in that, like, I, I just went and I just did my job, you know? I, I served food at, at big parties, you know? Wore my little suit, and, like, I got funds. And, and God just worked all those things together, even though I wasn't this missionary, you know, on the streets witnessing to the homeless in Chicago. I just did my job and got the funds and found the sale, bought the stuff for myself, you know? And God worked through the natural means. And so when we work, when you do the thing that you do at your job that is not run by, by Christians, God works. God works. And, and there's, a, there's not only a nobility in that, but there's a righteousness in that. You know? Some people you know, don't feel that their jobs are incredibly rewarding because they don't see it directly connected to some sort of eternal purpose. And that's just wrong, you know, that there's a nobility and a righteousness in you just doing work that God uses in ways that we don't understand. Verse 9 says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with God. Second Chronicles 19.7, this is in the Old Testament, says, now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking of bribes. It's saying, masters, you and your bondservant, you your servant, you and your slave, you're both the heirs of the same father. You are both heirs of the same kingdom. You are both participants in the same inheritance. And really, this is a warning. Woe be to you. Stop your threatening. Stop mistreating. Stop abusing because you're polluting the gospel. You know, this is a direct contradiction to the system that God has set up in order to show the world himself 
according to accomplish his purposes and according to give us the greatest joy. So when authority is treated, both when we submit to it and when we exercise authority, because there are several of you who have people who are under you, and that you will through the course of your career and the course of your family life, when we exercise authority and when we submit to authority, we are accomplishing the purposes of God, both showing himself to the world, accomplishing his purposes on this earth, and providing for us the greatest good. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's what it says. That it may go well with you and that you may live well in the land. There will never, ever be a point in our life when we are not under authority. And we're not supposed to be. I, when, I, when, I, when I daydream in my mind, I think of scenarios where I don't have to answer to anybody. And I'm not talking about a license to go like sin, but it's kind of like I wish I could just go do what I wanted to do and I didn't have a boss to report to and I could just I could go all out. Doesn't it sometimes feel like your boss is holding you back? Sometimes it's like, I don't like this. I don't like being under the structure. I don't like being under the system. I could do it better my way. You know, and like, but if we ever find ourselves in a situation where we have no authority over us, dangerous. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, well, we all have God over us. No, like the, the design, the design of life on this earth into the second coming of Christ is that we will always be under some sort of authority. You know, always that we will never be at the top. We see problems when people have absolute authority. They're called dictators. <laughs> absolute authority corrupts absolutely. Have you heard that before? We see it in guys like Putin, who's like, I, you know what, I think I'm going to take over part of this country. I mean, who's pushing back in Russia? Nobody, because he's Putin. <laughs> you know, he's powerful, and people aren't questioning him. You look at guys like Castro, you look at guys like Hitler. It, there's problems. You see, you see pastors. There, there are endless stories of pastors who are leading their church, and they don't have structures of authority that they're sitting under, and they become corrupt. We see it in, in businesses. You know, we see it in families. If there's no authority, absolute powerful can corrupt. So it is God's system that is set up that it may go well with us and that we may live long in the land. Be encouraged from the Word of God. Uh, be encouraged in, in your work. Be encouraged... Um, in your life as you, as you move forward and want to become godly mothers and godly fathers. Um, be godly employees um, as we submit to authority and as we exercise godly authority. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, showing us your way. Father, it's, it, it, if we all interpret authority differently, if we all respond to authority differently, chaos and madness would rule the earth. And we've seen that through points of history. So Father, I thank you for giving us a way. I thank you for making it clear. And Father, I thank you for making it for your own good. Um, that it's not just something that we have to sit under like a burden, but it is something that ultimately frees us, that uses us for your greater purpose, exposes us to your riches, leads us and others to the gospel, and Father, brings us a long life that it may go well with us. I thank you for that. I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.